We can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's glad to see I'm not the only one that's uh, tongue-tied this morning. Steve Boyer is also a little tongue-tied. Um, sometimes we forget the things that are in our Bibles. Um, this, this was hanging out this morning, and so uh, a little bookmark that Asher gave me. Um, so to Dad, love Ash. So uh, thankful for that. Back in there, while you turn there. <clears throat> All right, today we're going to look at uh, verses 13 through 16. Um, and Paul's introduction, no, it's not Paul, Peter's introduction to his letter here. Um, hear the word of our God. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also shall be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Father, uh, grant us ears to hear and uh, eyes to see this morning. Uh, help us to know the riches of your grace and the riches of your wisdom. Help us to believe what you say to us in these words this morning. Help us to do that which you tell us to do, building our house upon the rock. So I ask that you would use this time, that you would use these words to accomplish your great purposes in us this morning. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Lo and behold, Wednesday morning, it was 10, almost 10 o'clock, so I had to get Eli to his speech therapy. And uh, there I was, I found myself turning onto Cortero Road and going, Oh my, look at all this traffic. <laughs> What's gone on here? Why is it backed up so badly? And then I remembered, today's the day they closed the highway at Ina Road. Or at least the exits and uh, entrances to Ina Road, <coughs> to the highway. Sorry, work, uh, week four and counting on this cough. Um, things like construction uh, can change traffic patterns. And you need to make necessary adjustments based on those changes that you had nothing to do with. We see this in life in many ways. Marriage, for instance, you sort of have some uh, control over that change and that you chose to be married, but that change, that there's a change, a radical change in circumstances that requires a different way of living. The pattern of living changes such that uh, you cannot continue to live as if you were single because someone's going to be waiting for you at home. You should actually pick up the phone and go, I'm going to be late when you are going to be late. Death. Is another one of those things that changes the patterns of life that we have to reckon with. A child going off to college changes the pattern of life for the parents, and then the child also has brand new patterns of life that they need to take up now that mom and dad aren't there to take care of them anymore. New circumstances. 
producing new patterns of life. That is essentially what Peter is pointing us to here today, the reality that there are new circumstances because of this great salvation that we have received in Christ Jesus, and this new set of circumstances calls for a change in the patterns of life. So the big idea this morning is that grace received and promised are motives for holy living. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to start with promised grace purifies us in the present. The reality that promised grace purifies us in the present. Peter starts this paragraph with that great word, therefore... And if you've ever heard R.C. Sproul preach and teach, you know that he always says you have to ask what the therefore is there for. What's the purpose of this? And as a result of what I have just said, now this must take place. And so Peter is going to explore the implications of this great news that they have received by faith. He's going to explain the implications of the fact that they have been chosen by God, that they have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, uh, that they have been set apart by the Holy Spirit, that they have been made alive out of their deadness and sin because of Christ's resurrection, that they have been born again into this living hope, uh, that they have also... um, My mind just drew a blank. Uh, Anyway, oh, they have this great inheritance that has been promised to them. And so on the basis of this multifaceted salvation that they have received, therefore, they're to do these things. And so we have to remember that these commands that are given are given within the context of grace. They are the result of what we have received and what we have been promised. And so grace comes first, obedience comes second. This is not obey and receive grace, but you have received grace, therefore now obey. We tend to hear it the other way. Because of the legalism that remains within our hearts, we still want to gain God's favor on our own merit. We struggle with that. So please consciously resist that temptation within your own heart this morning. The gospel is not simply about the future. I get to go to heaven. It's not simply about forgiveness of sin. I need that a lot. But it's also about the changes in us that begin to occur in the present, in the now, this present age, as Paul says in Titus. And so, therefore, preparing your mind for action. Now, that is a really interesting turn of phrase because he says, Prepare your loins or gird your loins. The loins of your mind. 
Now, uh, if you've been around church, I'm sure you've, uh, you know, for a long period of time, I'm sure you've heard that idea of girding your loins. You know, they had those long robes back then. And if you're going to do work or run, something like that, you had to take up your robe so that you don't trip over your robe and you needed to tuck it and tie it into your belt so that you were ready for action. Whether you had to defend yourself or you had to plow land, whatever it is that you were going to do, you didn't want your clothing getting in the way and messing things up. Okay, So he's saying that phrase, but he's pointing to the mind. Meaning that there can be things that get in the way of how you think. And he wants you to clear them. He wants you to be prepared to think. We usually don't think about Christianity in those terms. Prepared to think. But we need to think in order to serve. We need to think. Uh, In order to love God and to love our neighbor, we need to be able to think, to make plans. And so sanctification, this process by which we become more and more like Jesus, includes the mind. It includes how we think. And so we engage a renewed mind in order to live a renewed life. Do we have a renewed mind? Of course we do if we're in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul notes, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And then these incredible words, But we have the mind of Christ. And so, in in regeneration and in justification, something incredible takes place. Our minds are renewed too. Our thinking process is fundamentally changed. We now have a mind that wants to know Christ, to know what He knows, to think as He thinks. For instance, Paul continues in the Second Timothy chapter two, trying to tell this young church planting pastor of his, of, that he knows that he loves, that he considers his son in the faith. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And so he's not playing um, thinking over praying. He says if if Timothy wanted to understand, and this understanding would come from the Lord it still involves that process of thinking. That ordinarily God does not work apart from your brain, but He works through your brain in order to give you understanding. This is important as well as we see in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so as John Stott says in, in light of this passage, that sanctification is largely about thinking. How we think. And as Presbyterians, most of us anyway, we should all embrace this. Because as Presbyterians, we're known for thinking. 
okay? But it's not thinking just for the sake of thinking. It's thinking for the sake of doing. Christianity includes thinking about our new identity in Jesus Christ. It includes thinking about the grace that we have received. It includes thinking about the grace that God has promised us later on. And so we think about these things so that we develop a plan of action. Because as it says here, they were to prepare their minds or gird their minds for action. He continues... Being sober-minded, level-headed, in the midst of difficulty. Many of us know firsthand what alcohol can do if we have too much of it. It clouds the mind. You make bad decisions. exactly why they don't want you to drink and drive. Okay? Instead, we are to be clear-headed. And then this is clear-headedness, not in ease, but this is clear-headed in difficulty. And I cannot help but think of MacGyver, even though I haven't watched more than five minutes of that show. But here you have MacGyver, which they've recently, uh, you know, rebooted with a whole new MacGyver. But he's the guy who's always in these horrible circumstances, and he finds a way out of these circumstances with whatever he finds around himself. And so, uh, almost inevitably, I'm sure there's duct tape. It has to be duct tape, right? Okay. So, you know, duct tape and a few other things that, uh, that he's able to fashion together. I would die every week in those circumstances, but MacGyver finds a way out. Okay. But as I was thinking about this passage, the other day, one of the things that came to my mind was who wrote this passage from a human perspective, and that was Peter. And I thought of the young Peter and how impulsive that man was. Peter, in his growth in Jesus Christ, learned how to be sober of mind and to prepare himself for action instead of being impetuous and having knee-jerk reactions. And so when we're, I just want to let you know, when you're young in Jesus, you tend to be just prone to the moment and do really foolish things. But as we mature, it's like a child, you know, we, we, children are very impetuous and impulsive, but hopefully when they grow up, they become more reasoned and reasonable. As we grow in our faith, we should be more thoughtful so that we're not having knee-jerk reactions. We're being sober-minded in what we do. And so when things come up that are difficult, whether it's temptations or afflictions, we remember that He will never leave us nor forsake us. And that is part of what helps us to be level-headed. It's okay. I'm not the only one here. Jesus is with me. And he's better than MacGyver, just so you know. Okay? Now, and here's where we really get to the idea of the grace coming in. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation. And so he's looking forward in time, okay, and noting here the grace that's going to come when Jesus is revealed to the world, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Christians receive grace, okay, uh, 
These particular Christians have already received much more grace because they've experienced um, his presence immediately after their death. But still, the inheritance, all of these things that are going to be brought to us, they were to think about those things. And it was meant to put, they were meant to put their hope in those things. Right now, those of us who live near Einer Road and I-10 put our hope, so to speak, in a a way, uh, in the day in which all of the construction is done. In 2019, I will believe it when I see it, okay? This is far greater than that kind of thing. Um, this This is about... Not just the completion of a construction project. This is the completion of the renewal of the cosmos by Jesus. When the curse is lifted and the creation groans no more, we will receive abundant grace above that which we've already received, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Okay? So, this is about the grace promised to us to be received when Jesus comes. This is about our inheritance. And how does this connect with obedience? 2 Corinthians 7, for instance. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us Cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And so Paul there in 2 Corinthians reminds them that those promises are meant to encourage us towards that process of purification or sanctification. And so Peter is essentially getting to the same point. You are intended to grow in holiness because you have this great promise of grace that is going to come to you. But he reminds them that their hope was to be fully on this this that was to come. Set your your hope fully on this grace. Not placed in many baskets. You know, we're sometimes told, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket because, you know, if you, if you drop the basket, all the eggs break. And so if you're someone who's looking for a job, this is how I often heard this applied in my life was when I was looking for a job. Uh, you don't just apply for one and you put all of your hopes on that one application, you know, and uh, what happens if you don't get that job? You're in, you're in big trouble. Now you got to start all over again. And so, you know, when I was looking for a new place to be a pastor, I had, you know, Applications out all over the place. We also often hear something similar to that with insurance, not insurance, investments. You need to have a varied portfolio. Well, when it comes to your hopes, that is all wrong. You are not to put some hopes in Jesus and some hopes in Buddha and some other hopes in Allah and so forth. They're all to rest completely upon Jesus and the grace that is to come to us at his revelation. And so part of how this works out, at least in my, how I think about this, is that in a sense, uh, our hope, 
is pulling us toward the future that God has promised for us, and so that it shapes our present plans and our present action in light of that which we hope for. Okay, in the Christian sense of hope, not just in the, you know, I hope I get married or I hope whatever, you know, I hope I have money when I retire, whatever, okay? And as I was pondering this, I was listening to an interview with Tom Brady, sorry, okay? He loves football. He loves to play football, and his whole life... Uh, apart from his wife and kids, but this affects that as well, is is shaped by his desire to play football professionally. It shapes what he eats. It shapes uh, when he goes to bed, when he wakes up, what he does with his waking hours. Uh, apparently, uh, you know, now he's got some new Under Armour pajamas, so it impacts also how he sleeps or at least what he sleeps in, okay? <laughs> Everything is shaped by that. If you're engaged, all of your waking hours are shaped by the fact that you have um, a wedding date set and you've got all of these details you've got to attend to. If you aren't yet engaged, then you're somehow usually thinking about that process. And really, what we ought to focus on is not meeting the person, but being the person. Becoming the type of person who will make a good spouse even more than we think about who will be a good spouse. And so our hope kind of pulls us forward and shapes our our present plans, our present actions, so that we are prepared for the rival of that hope. And so grace promised to us when Jesus returns motivates believers to be purified. Secondly, grace received in regeneration resists sinful desires. The grace that we received in regeneration helps us to resist sinful desires. If we think of how Paul spoke about sanctification in, uh, in Romans and Ephesians and Colossians, we see part of it is putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And Peter is in agreement with this twofold aspect. And right now we're talking about the first of those two aspects, the putting off. But he starts with identity as obedient children. He uses here a a Semitic phraseology. He may be writing in Greek, but he's still a Hebrew. (coughs) Paul does this in Ephesians chapter 2 when he speaks of the Ephesians and himself prior to being made alive in Christ Jesus. He says, you were by nature children of wrath. You were destined for wrath. You worked wrath. And now, because grace has come, because they have received life in Christ, they are children of obedience. They are marked by obedience. They are born again for obedience. It doesn't mean that they're actually fully obedient. Okay? I've, I've yet to see obedient children. <laughs> 
That includes your children, folks. Um, <laughs> no. Children can be obedient, but they're not always obedient. Okay? Made alive by, in Christ by the Father, we have been saved so that we will obey Him. And this kind of harkens back to what we see in verse 2. We, are, we have been set apart, or sorry, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Christ Jesus, he mentions there in that instance. But obedient children. Who do obedient children obey? Just about anybody? Hopefully not. I do not expect my children to obey random people on the street. I really hope they won't obey peers, <laughs> particularly when they get to the teen years. Okay? So this is not an ex- you know, this is not a statement of obey everybody, but as obedient children, their eyes to be upon the Father who has given them life in Jesus the Son. That is who they are to obey, not all adults. And so he talks about this obedient children aspect, and he says, as obedient children, do not, okay, so this is the negative part of that, this is the putting off, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, let's do a couple things here. First, their former ignorance. Uh, before they knew Christ, they were um, agnostic about right and wrong. Okay, um, They were blinded spiritually, so to speak. And so essentially he's saying, um, don't live like you used to live. Okay? They were controlled back then by their passions or lusts or desires. That word is translated in all three of those ways throughout the course of the New Testament. We can still let the past rule the present at times. Conversion, being born again, being regenerated, uh, whichever way you want to express that, does not remove temptation from us we still experience many of the very same desires that we used to obey before we became a Christian. Now, for some of you, that makes no sense because you were raised in the church, and, and as far as you know, there, there's, you've, we've always trusted in Jesus. Okay, Someone like me who was converted um, you know, when I was 20, I know all about those things. And I, to a degree, better grasp the need to flee from those things. That my life is not to be marked by those things. I am not to be conformed or shaped by those desires which used to shape me. But that doesn't mean they're gone that I became a Christian and suddenly they evaporated. They still want to shape me. 
just like they still want to shape you. We still experience these things. Romans 1, I mean, this word is used so much within uh, the New Testament. There's a couple, there's two right here. Romans 1, therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity for the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And so Paul ties this in with the great rebellion against God. And so God gives people over to these lusts or desires or passions that they experience. James 1 reminds us that each one of us is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay, so our sin comes first in the idea of temptation, and then when we entertain this temptation and actually do what we're tempted to do, we commit acts of sin. But the desire, the temptation itself is a sinful desire, sinful temptation. And so we can still experience these desires that once controlled our actions. Those works of the flesh that Paul talked about in Galatians 5. We can still be tempted to be um, driven by greed. We can still be tempted to be shaped by rage. We can still be tempted to be shaped by pride. And I could go on and on. Sometimes we live on autopilot. Do you know what I mean? Not when Steve's flying his plane, kind of autopilot, you know, where everything's programmed. But when you're driving your car and your brain starts to be engaged in something else and suddenly you're where you wanted to be and you can't quite remember exactly how you got there. You made all the right turns in all the right places and avoided all the cars that were possibly in your way, but... You, you kind of just did what comes naturally. I mean, we're all, we all sort of experience this sometimes. Um, when you change routine, when you're supposed to be going one place, but your brain forgets and thinks you're going to the other place, you normally go at that point in time, and you make the wrong turn. And you're like, oh! <laughs> I need to go that way, because I'm not going to work. I'm going somewhere else right now. That's what he's saying. These things can be so ingrained within us that breaking the pattern of sin can be difficult. But that is what we are to do in light of this great salvation we have received. We've been born again. We've been united to Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are a new creation, as Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. And now we are to be driven by these new desires that he gives us. Those desires that we, that are basically the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5. But that doesn't mean that these old desires have lost their voice. They still cry out for attention. They still demand satisfaction. They still want to sabotage our living. It's like you have a terrorist cell in your own heart. You do. You have a terrorist cell that seeks to undo you in your own heart. 
to undo you by your rage and your pride and your greed and your other lusts. Don't let it win, essentially, is what Peter is getting at in this place. When our old desires rise up, we need to say no to them, Titus chapter 2. We need to put them to death in the power of the Spirit, Paul would say in Romans chapter 8. We need to crucify them, as he says in Galatians chapter 5. For instance, Paul's argument in Romans 6 is that in Christ we have died to sin because Jesus died to sin, and therefore we have the the capacity now to no longer obey it. And so he says in Romans 6, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal mortal body to make you obey its passions. Same word that we're talking about here from 1 Peter. Those passions want to be obeyed, brothers and sisters. They'll let you know about it. Don't worry. But sin is not to reign. Those passions are not to reign. We are not to be conformed into their likeness, but rather into the likeness of Christ Himself. And so, getting back to this idea that as a child who loves their father, we don't want to disappoint the father. I've had untold conversations with my father on the phone. Most of them I can't remember. But I still remember one of the times I disappointed my father. He had been kind and given me um, his, um, he probably shouldn't have done this, his, uh, this is the olden days when we had calling cards. You know, because you had to pay for long distance. You know, that's, that's how old I am. Um, so he gave me his work one so I could call home, and I called my girlfriend a few too many times. So he must have gotten um, some, some information at work, shall we say. And he called me up and said, God, I not use that thing to call your girlfriend all the time. I had disappointed my father. I, here it is, 30 years later, I remember that conversation. Okay. A child who loves their father doesn't want to disappoint their father. And so the grace we've already received helps us to resist the sinful desires that we experience. Thirdly, grace received in regeneration imitates the father. The grace we've received in regeneration enables us to imitate the Father. And so Peter moves now to the positive side of sanctification with that little word, but. Buts matter. That's with one T. Okay, just in case you're confused. Okay, those conjunctions, those adversative conjunctions matter. When you see those in Scripture, pay attention. Just like you ought to pay attention to the therefores, the buts. Pay attention to those. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because our Father in heaven is holy, we are meant to display the family likeness 
by being holy ourselves. And so, Peter really sets a high standard here, doesn't it? It's not be a nice guy. It's not be liked by people. It's not be well enough to get along and have friends. It's be holy. And we can hear that even as Christians and sort of go, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Yeah, you will, you would be in trouble were it not for the active obedience of Jesus Christ and that you have his righteousness. So that don't base your relationship on whether or not you're holy yet. This is what God has redeemed you to be. So don't get uh, too intimidated by the holy just yet. Obedient children know no limits with regard to obedience to their heavenly Father. Uh, He says right there, in all your conduct. Not some of your conduct, most of your conduct, your conduct with regard to these five areas of your life, but these other two, who cares about God? Just as like I care about my children and everything they do, He cares about who we are, and uh, holiness is about wholeness. And so it's about everything. And so he, he wants us to be concerned about pleasing Him and walking in His ways with regard to everything. How you do your business, how you work, how you play, how you treat your spouse, how you look for a spouse, how you treat your parents, the list could go on and on. Some of us, when we were children, may have not had the best experience in our family of origin, and we couldn't get wait to get out, so we didn't have to obey those people anymore. Right? Get to be 18, you move out of the house, you're free. Free, I say. We don't age out when it comes to Jesus and the Father. There's no point in which you will be mature enough that now you can just obey yourself. Okay? We're always under His authority. This reminds us remarkably of what one, we first of all, we see in Leviticus 19, because one of the first commands that are mentioned there. Uh, as revere your father and mother, we see as well that same command reiterated in Ephesians chapter 6, obey your parents in the Lord, uh, for this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you live long in the land, but also Colossians 3, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And so what we were intended to learn in the home is what we're supposed to live out in our Christian lives and experience. That our obedience, again, has no limits by age or topic. But holy, holy, that can sound cold, that term sometimes. It can also sound relatively vague. But it's interesting there in Leviticus 19 that he says, Be holy, for I am holy. 
And then he lists the moral commands and then some of the civil commands of the people of Israel. So holiness is really about law, living in accordance with God's law. Not Again, not to gain God's love, but because you've already received God's love in Jesus Christ. Since it is written, he says, Peter says to them, you shall be holy for I am holy. He brings this back to Leviticus 11. He brings it back to Leviticus 19. For instance, in Leviticus 11, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Context again of redemption. You have been redeemed, therefore be holy. Not be holy and you might be redeemed. It is important for us to continually get that order correct. Being holy means that He will not ask you to do anything wrong. He will not ask you or tell you to do anything harmful to you or harmful to anyone else because it is about loving God and loving neighbor. The law is actually an expression of God's love. And so when we walk in the law, we love God and we love our neighbor precisely because God is love. We see this in Romans. Okay, Love does no harm to its neighbor. Love fulfills the law. And what does Paul then do? He rattles off most of the Ten Commandments. Law and love are not opposed to one another. But law is actually an expression of love. Which is why Sinclair Ferguson says, sanctification is growing in holy love. Love is growing in holiness. And so the Holy Spirit who helps us to resist sinful desires also helps us to obey the holy desires that he puts there in the first place. It's that whole Philippians 2 thing of work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for God is at work in you to will and work according to his good purpose. He works so that we will and work. He produces the desires new holy desires. And when we submit to the work of the Spirit, we walk in those things. I could say a whole lot more about this. I feel like I should say a whole lot more about this. But that's all I'm going to say about this. (laughs) Salvation is bookended by grace in a big way. Regeneration and resurrection. And grace all the way through. And the, but these bookends are meant to provide the motives for our, our obedience. These big events really change the patterns of our lives, just like construction changes our travel patterns. Grace changes the way we think. It changes what we think about. 
It changes what we plan about. Grace changes how we respond to the desires that we experience. Grace changes which ones we say yes to and which ones we say no to. Grace changes who we imitate. It changes our relationship to holiness and to love. Are your patterns changing? Or are you stuck? If you're stuck, please talk to me or talk to one of the elders so that by God's grace you can get unstuck and those patterns can change. Let's pray. Father, we are confronted with some truths we wish weren't there. That call that you have offered when you called us it makes us tremble at times because we know that we are not um, up for the task. We know that our heart is uh, full of traitors. And so help us to keep looking not within, but out towards Jesus. To remember that He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our wisdom. Help us to grow in the knowledge of grace in Jesus Christ, that we might grow in the experience of that grace in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, by that, that you would prepare us for service and that we would gird up our minds for that service. Help us to grow in our obedience to you from within because we have a growing love for you because we greater understand your love for us. So help us to grow in holy love. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.